graduate with a CS degree, then you definitely do CS for your work, right? <laughs> I mean, it's so straightforward. Mm, yeah. Yeah. But in reality, I mean, even for the people who have a CS degree, there's a lot of like variation in terms of their coding ability. Like some mm. people, they simply code very well. That they don't even need a CS degree. You know, they can just go to a, a company and become a software developer because yeah. they are they are super talented and they can add value to to that company. And then uh, some other people, I would say that most people, uh, they are not particularly like talented in coding, but they are able to scrape by with a good grade. I think that's mm-hmm. kind of like me, but I didn't realize this back then when I took <laughs> up the internship. So after I took the internship, the first thing I realized is that like not everyone in the coding department has a CS degree. In fact, some people like they study like physics, it's totally unrelated, but they are just somehow so much better at coding than me. Mm-hmm. And then in the like non-coding department, like marketing, surprisingly, there are CS like students, like CS oh graduates. Wow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So this is so because you know a lot of people know that you know CS is like high paying, it's a very coveted like profession. Yeah. So a lot of people, regardless of their own ability, they actually flock into that major. But when they graduate, the people without like a decent uh, ability, they will kind of naturally get sidelined and push into the other departments. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think this actually happens a lot for, for a lot of people. I mean, whether it's intentional or unintentional. Yeah, some people, they study CS and they realize they don't actually like it. So they switch profession. Whereas some people, I mean, they go into a CS job a CS and they realize job. they can't do it. So they have to switch like department. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, so apart from that, uh, yeah, OnePlus was like, I think there's a lot of like stress. Yeah, because mm-hmm. uh, people work like super long hours. And I think that sometimes it's quite unfair. For example, OnePlus has a lot of like overseas offices. Those offices, they don't have to like work overtime because in those countries uh, like US, they have like labor protection law that they kind of prohibit the employer yeah. from keeping people over time. Yeah, however, in China, there's not really like a legal enforcement of that. Yeah, so in the end, uh, like the China headquarters that I was working under, they schedule meetings that's in the US time zone, but not in the Chinese time zone. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah, so like, like we have to like have meeting at like 12 a.m., 1 a.m., just so that mm-hmm. the colleagues in the US office, they can go to a meeting that is within their office hour. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I think that part is really unfair and unnecessary. I mean, China Mm -hmm. definitely has to do more about this in the future. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, but then again, because of the access of labor, people would happily take out the job, even though it is like unfair, it is tiring. Mm -hmm. And also another observation at OnePlus is that the mobility, like people actually leave, like come and leave quite like frequently. Yeah, like in my department itself, I was only there for like two to three months. Yeah, there were like mm-hmm. more than three changeovers in terms of their permanent oh. staff. Yeah, so I mm-hmm. guess that is also a reflection that people don't really entirely enjoy this job and they will move on to better places. I mean, ideally, I don't want to work in a company like that. So this experience itself was kind of overall a wake-up call for me that I shouldn't mm-hmm. think so naively about CES and also working in a Chinese big tech firm. I see. Yeah. Then how do you eventually transition to law then? Okay, I think I didn't eventually transition because I do intend to try out other things. Yeah, okay. before I settle yeah. down. 
So for this legal internship I'm doing with Zhicheng Public Interest Law, it's actually very interesting because uh, my friend who is not a lawyer and also not studying law, she recommended this to me. And she's a social science student who is just mm-hmm. very interested in like legal inf- reform in China in general. Mm-hmm. So the special thing about public interest law versus like commercial law firm is that public interest law does public interest law. <laughs> yeah. So the things I do here is actually not like real like authentic orthodox law firm like i do more like more of like public relations managing social relations uh working with like government agencies uh also talking to ngos and things like that because Mm -hmm. for children in particular uh they have an institute that studies like family and children's protection law and also protection of migrant workers in china I mean, those people, they're, they're definitely underprivileged and they don't really have money to kind of hire lawyers like in regular law firms. Yeah, mm-hmm. so the public interest law itself has to reach out to this kind of people and settle their disputes. And also in China, the legal system is very different from like anywhere else in the world. It's like definitely trickier. You don't just like sue people all the time for, for everything. There's a lot of mediation that you have to do on like to different stakeholders, different parts. Yeah, like, for mm-hmm. example, if you have a migrant worker who got into trouble with the authority, yeah, you cannot just, you know, like, put a blanket conclusion on this case. Yeah, you have to talk to the employer itself, the migrant worker himself, and also the other authorities, yeah, to really understand mm-hmm. what's going on. So I think that's the interesting part about this internship, because it really shows me how the Chinese society is so different <laughs> uh, from the, you know, like, rule of law in the other countries. Like some people would dismiss this as like, oh, China doesn't follow law. But it's really much more complicated than that. It's not mm-hmm. that Chinese citizens are not law abiding, but because their social relations takes on another, an additional layer of complexity that you cannot see everything in just black and white legal terms. So back to a question of why I decided to pursue this. I mean, one part is definitely out of personal interest that I want to see this aspect of the Chinese society. Yeah, another mm-hmm. aspect is that I am indeed applying for law school. Oh, so okay. this will definitely affect my resume. But we can talk about law school in a bit. <laughs> sure, sure. I think, I guess one other thing that I noticed, right, because actually most of your internships are done in China. Mm-hmm. Um, so have you done any internships in the US in the past? Uh, let me think. Yeah, I have not done any internship, like other than mm-hmm. the paid school research. So mm-hmm. I don't think I have a lot of experience to say on that. Yeah. Okay, but um, so most, because you have so many different internships, right? so have you done some internships, like, I guess, during the school term itself? And how was that experience, like, kind of juggling both um, schoolwork and internships together? Okay, I didn't actually do any internship during school term, but I did okay. do, like, research attachment. Okay, not really mm-hmm. research attachment, but more like research assistant to professor. Yeah, so that is mm-hmm. actually a paid job where mm. you receive like this this compensation the salary from the school mm. so that part is just very research-based and it has to do with the personal style of your professor mm-hmm. like some people would say that it's very much just like a professional internship yeah like you have to report your your stuff to like your boss and things like that yeah but for mm. my particular case my professor is just being like a regular professor as it is it's still like a kind of like student teacher relationship yeah, more than an employer-employee relationship. Yeah, mm-hmm. so I wouldn't say that that is completely representative of, like, internship in the U.S. Mm-hmm. I see, I see. 
So how was your research assistant like experience like? Okay. Uh so I did like research on US China relations with mm-hmm. uh this professor from my university. So what I do specifically is that he will give me a lot of readings and is supposed to uh kind of uh, curate them, organize the information. Yeah, and this pro- mm-hmm. professor in particular, he's very focused on like quantitative analysis. So mm-hmm. I have to think of like creative ways to represent information uh, quantitatively. Yeah, like mm-hmm. for example, instead of like just talking about, you know, relations are bad or good, I come up with like indicators that kind of gives you like a more uh, decisive clue on how relationships are at different points of time in history. For example, mm-hmm. I can look at the speeches made by foreign ministers. Yeah, I look for like keywords and then give like a quantitative like value to that and then try to come up with like graphs to see how that's changed over time. I mean, oh, it's, definitely not hun- yeah, it's definitely not 100% accurate, but the very point of, of being a research assistant is that you are in this research process with the professor. Mm-hmm. You are not, you, you cannot, it's impossible for you to just produce the best answer overnight. Yeah, it's really the process that matters. Yeah, it's what you are being paid for. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So I guess now that we have talked so much about, you know, your professional experiences, your research assistant experiences, um, you, you mentioned something that was really interesting just now, which is that you will be applying for graduate school in law, uh-huh. right? Um, and you're planning to apply for that in the US, right? Yeah. So how is that experience going to be like? And also like, you know, I guess it's kind of unorthodox, right, for most Singaporeans to apply for law in US because most of them will either, you know, study law in Singapore or they will um, go to maybe the UK to study law. But, you know, how is that, like, how is studying law like for a Singaporean in the Okay, US? yeah, like, I think from the economic perspective, it's not very efficient for Singaporeans to study, like, JD, like this Jewish doctorate degree in the US mm-hmm. because there are actually not many US you know, like law degrees that are actually recognized by Singapore. Yeah, in fact, yeah. I think if you just Google, there are only like five or like six of schools that are recognized. So, I mean, that's definitely one thing. Yeah, another thing is that you have to go through like seven years in total if you want to complete like this law education in the US because you have to complete your undergrad first. That, that's four years. Yeah, another three years of JD. Yeah, so it's seven years in total. Whereas you can graduate with a law degree in like four years or three years in the UK or Singapore. That said, it's actually two very different systems. And it has to do with the eventual career path that you want to take on. So I think a lot of the people I know, not Singaporeans, they choose <laughs> to you know, have their legal education in the US. Well, some people that I talk to is because they want to take something else for their undergraduate. Yeah, like they don't want to just study like law for undergrad because they feel that they need like some sort of foundation or prerequisite that they're also interested in. Yeah, like I know this person who's studying like political philosophy at undergraduate level because she mm-hmm. intends to go into the very theoretical side of like uh, law of theoretical re- uh, of legal research. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it will be impossible for her to kind of pursue this uh, path. Yeah, just by studying law in China or by mm-hmm. studying law in like a UK system. Because she feel that like first she's not getting enough time to do like the philosophical or the theoretical uh, research, the background research. Mm-hmm. And second, 
the the program she's looking at are actually not offered at Chinese uh universe Chinese like law universities because I think similar to Singapore, like the Chinese university in question, they are kind of professionally focused. Yeah, like they are just training you to be a lawyer. They don't really、mm-hmm. train you to be well versed in political philosophy that's behind like legal issues. So,、mm-hmm. yeah. So what so about、I、you, think, right? Okay, so for me, a lot of people will ask me like. Why you take such a detour? Why not you just study law in Singapore? And also, I I thought you hated law. I <laughs> those are kind of not really what I'm thinking about when when I decided to take on this path. I didn't want to go into law straight away because I felt that as a JC student, I didn't know what the law profession is about. And even、mm-hmm. if I do, I cannot feel any connection to it, which is why I decided not to you know just go straight into law in NUS、mm-hmm. or. Uh, the UK universities. So I went to US, and admittedly, when I was a freshman, I actually think I、uh, didn't think about law school either. <laughs> I was just happily studying like history, you know, all the other archaeology courses, taking CS and things like that. So I think I only started seriously considering like law school in second half of the freshman year and also sophomore year,、mm-hmm. when I realized that I'm determined to go to a graduate school. Yeah. Mm, yeah, and then in terms of what kind of graduate school I want to do, yeah, I realized that there's actually a lots of interesting programs in law school that I want to go to、mm-hmm. because, ah,、uh, for me right now the ah、uh, the area of history that I'm focused on is actually international history of war, and that、mm-hmm. actually has to do a lot with international history of law, because you know you need like. The tribunals, you need the ICJ, you need these kind of legal institutions in place to kind of talk about like how wars are defined and how do we deal with them. How do we deal with them? So for me, I found like a large part of my historical research as an undergraduate actually revolve around this legal aspect of like history of war. And I realized that the law school I'm looking at actually has a very robust program for historical research that overlaps with legal research. Specifically, this is the path that I intend to、uh, take on, yeah, in law school. And this is actually quite different from, you know, just simply just legal training to be a lawyer. In fact,、mm-hmm. to be honest, I don't really think that I'm like confirmed that I'll definitely become a lawyer one day. Yeah,、mm-hmm. it's more like the research part that attracts me to a、uh, law school, and definitely. Um, U.S. university, like U.S. law school, they offer more choices than just Singaporean or Chinese like law universities.、Mm. Yeah, so I think that's the rationale behind why I want to go to law school. I see, I see. That's actually very interesting because you know when we talk about studying law in Singapore, most people would kind of naturally associate associate it with having like a legal career, being a lawyer, either a corporate lawyer or like you know, I mean, part of the government as like. You know, lawmakers themselves, but what you mentioned was like a completely separate path, like the third pathway, basically, of like doing law as research. And you know, I guess that's something that some of our audience might be interested in. Or it can be something like a food for thought for some of our audience here today as well. And you know, wow, we have really talked about so much today, right? Because <laughs> your 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 own student life is so、um, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean it's so um varied your experiences, and um maybe you can kind of like looking back at your own uni life, right? What kind of advice would you give yourself, kind of like when you were applying to U uni like back in twenty eighteen? What kind of advice would you give yourself re- retrospectively? 
I'll actually broaden this timeline to JC because I think I made the sure. most mistakes in JC. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'll actually convince myself to be more open minded and not to like think in such a straightforward and simple way. Like, like you know, studying mm-hmm. law means you must become a lawyer. This and that. There's actually a lot of work that I could have done. Like simply just doing more research. Yeah, like looking mm-hmm. at more like school website, program website. Yeah, like increasing current affairs knowledge, general mm-hmm. knowledge in general will be very helpful. So yeah, that's one thing. And also looking back at application itself. Yeah, there's actually not much else that I can do for my applications because I think I try my best. Yeah, I think mm-hmm. the SAT scores were decent and the activities, they look good on paper. But in fact, I think in reverse, I will actually tell myself not to be so obsessed with applications. Yeah, because a lot of times mm-hmm. when we focus too much on application, yeah, we lose sight of what's actually more important. I'm not saying this in just a fluffy, idealistic way. Yeah, like mm-hmm. AKA, you simply focus on a resume. You don't focus on the real skills development. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So if I can l- relieve my like applications again, I will actually spend more time like maybe learning uh, for example, a new language or reading more books mm-hmm. rather than just spamming activities. <laughs> yeah, that's actually a very good point, you know. Um, yeah. And also, I guess, do you have any like final advice that you want, like maybe want to share with our audience today? Maybe the final advice is just the world is really huge out there. Yeah, so <laughs> get yourself yeah. more informed. Yeah, make yourself more knowledgeable and also like be very, very humble. Like, I used to think that I was humble enough in Singapore because, like, everyone say that, oh, you know, like, we're a Confucius society, we're humble. But I don't think that is, like, the true <laughs> definition of mm. humble. Like, I think when I was in Singapore, admittedly, I had some pride about, you know, like, oh, we are hardworking. I think I'm hard work- more hardworking than the American counterparts. I think that we, we score higher on the PISA score. Yeah, we, we are definitely better at exams and stuff like that. But I think those kind of thoughts are actually very distracting. <laughs> Because you don't know what to learn from, like, people outside. Like, when I used to look at China, I just thought that, oh, you know, the place is so chaotic, there are no rules, this and that. I thought that Singapore was better, was superior because it was law-based. But actually, there's so much we can learn just from the complexity itself. Like, dealing with the very complex personalities they are in the professional world in China, that was very eye-opening. Yeah, also in the U.S., meeting different personalities, realizing that they're actually more motivated learners than than I am yeah mm-hmm. so I think that experience really humbled me mm-hmm. actually you know it's, you know through our conversation today mm-hmm. one thing that really stood out to me right it was the fact that you have so many different experiences with um, more than one countries because you know most students I've talked about right like they are either you know really focused in the UK or they are really focused in the US but you kind of um, a kind of like a triple culture person which is like you, you know kind of the US system you have been you, you have some experience in the China system as well and you kind of know the local Singaporean context as well and I guess that's that's really like the value of an overseas education right because stepping outside of your comfort zone of like the bubble that you grew up in and then recognizing the fact that you know, the world is so much bigger out there. There are so many different cultures, different personalities. And then, you know, going through the process of deconstructing your preconceived notions about those countries, those cultures, and then kind of like expanding your horizon. I guess mm-hmm. that's really like the value of kind of studying overseas. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I definitely agree with you. Mm-hmm. So I think on that note, right, 
I think it's a, it's a great way to kind of end off our session today. And, you know, to our audience, if you'd like to hear more of these stories, uh, be sure to stay tuned to our future episodes of Unity. And if you'd like to connect with more seniors and learn more about all things related to studying overseas, do feel free to join our UniBridge community on Telegram. Um, you can find the link to our Telegram group on our Instagram page at unibridge underscore SG. So be sure to give us a follow. And thank you. Thank you very much, Weying. And, you know, for our audience today, if you want to speak to Weying, um, you want to connect with her, you can feel free to do so on LinkedIn, right? Um, what, what's your name on LinkedIn? Maybe you can share uh, just with Weying Wu, like Serena Weying Wu. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, if, if you guys have any questions about, you know, studying in the US, you know, switching majors, um, or even, you know, the work experience in China, you can always, you know, contact Weying. And with that, um, see you guys in the next episode of our podcast. So thank you, Weying. And see you guys. Bye. Bye. Bye.